Good morning. I love the fact that when Aaron did his introduction, he's basically said like the first quarter of my first page. So you'll be glad to know. And we're getting through this a little bit quicker than I was at the beginning. Um, but we're doing a great series, Life Wins. And throughout the course of this series, it's all about applying, like Aaron said, the word of God, getting it into our hearts. What does that look like for us on the inside so that then outwardly we can demonstrate um, what God says he wants in all these different areas of our lives. So we're going to get stuck into life-winning relationships. And, um, you know, you and I were meant to live in community. We're meant and made up and designed for relationships. When you look right at the beginning of time, all the way back to Genesis, in the beginning, God creates the heavens and the earth. He completes his creation. And then he has a rest on the Sabbath, placing Adam in the Garden of Eden. And God refers to all his creation, and he looks out, and he sees that it is... And he doesn't just say it's good, he says it's very, it's very good, but it's not good for man to be alone. So what does he do? He creates Eve. So right from the very beginning, when you look right from the very beginning of time, God designed us for relationship because he knew that we weren't meant to be alone. And it's through our relationships that our faith is developed, our friendships have deepened, and love can be demonstrated throughout our lives. Jesus understood the need for relationship. It's the reason why he had 12 disciples, 12 friends to hang out with, because he needed those relationships in his life. It was all about community right the way through the Gospels. Everything that they did was in community and being together. And Jesus was right there saying, you need relationships, you need community in your life. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were three of Jesus's close friends. You can read about them in the Gospels. And then even the time that Jesus had alone, he was still in community with his father. And today, when it comes to talking about relationships, we're not just looking at our relationships with one another, but our relationship with God. And here at Riverside, we want to be people who have authentic relationships, people who grow, grow and flourish and nurture each other as a church family so that we can, as a community, go on to the great adventure of showing others how to come into that relationship with Jesus, that they would find God and follow Jesus for themselves and become part of the family of God. So the second part of the Sermon of the Mount that we're going to look at today in Matthew chapter 5 is all about our life together. And um, if we go on to the next slide, I have to warn you because, oh sorry, the one after that. I'm putting this up and out there tonight, today because I'm just giving you a warning before I even start speaking that there are going to be some things that I'm going to say they're going to make you uncomfortable. There are going to be some triggers in what I'm about to say that are going to make you go, oh, that is really, really hard to hear. There's going to be some of you this morning, and, and I certainly have felt this myself as I've prepared it. There is stuff that's going to make you squirm. There is stuff that's going to make you feel like this like heat is going to rise within you. But it's good. Because in order for us to grow our relationships, in order for us to be the people who God has created us to be, there are some things in our lives that we have to address, we have to look at, we have to say, okay, God, what are you saying about this area of my life? How is that affecting me in my heart? And what am I going to do about that? So we're going to dive into this together. Um, if you turn to Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to be starting off at verse 21. Um, we're not going to read it all in one go. I'm going to kind of break it down for you. But in Matthew 5, we get these 
Six things that are called the antitheses. So Jesus is presenting teach, teaching that is a contrast completely to what the people already understood and knew about the law. Because the Jews had been bound by law and obligation. They followed everything religiously into the letter. There were traditions and things that they had to do. And they were so stuck in this way of being. And then Jesus comes along and he's saying, no, it's not all about this outward stuff that you're doing. It's about on the inside. And he turns everything up from being um, outside in to inside out. And this is a complete revolutionary thing for the Jews at that time. They're like, what, Jesus, you're saying this? When all the way along I've been doing this. And at the time, the Pharisees and religious leaders, they did everything to the letter. And they would be pulling Jesus up on things that he was saying. They would be um, condemning people because of what they were doing on the outside when actually what Jesus is saying, what's going on inside your heart. So throughout the passage that we're going to read today, there's a phrase that pops up time and time again. You have heard that it was said, but I say to you. So several times Jesus is taking away the um, kind of misunderstanding of the law that people have had. And he's saying, this was the law that you've been living your lives by, but I'm coming with life. I'm coming with a new way of living that is going to transform your life. And the people are just on, literally, they're, they're on the every edge of his word because they are just so amazed by this new way of living and they want to know more about it. He's saying, you've heard the rabbis, you've heard the teachers, you've heard the people telling you this is how to live. But I am saying to you, Jesus, the one who has authority, the one who is the Messiah, is saying to you, this is how I want you to live your life. And, um, you know, when you look at the Gospels, when you look at what Jesus says, if you're right at the beginning of your journey in discovering who Jesus is, the best place to start is looking at the words that Jesus speaks. And we find those throughout the Gospels in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, just story after story of what Jesus says and how he lives his life and how he does community and relationship. Um, if you've got a Bible that's got black and red writing, go to the red letters first. And I really believe, as I'm speaking today, this is a red letter message straight from God's heart today. Because these are the things that Jesus says in order for us to develop and grow our relationships. So we're getting to the meaty bit now. Are you ready? We're going to take off. Don't go quiet on me. But we get to Matthew 5, verse 21 to 48. And Jesus is addressing several big issues. We're talking today about anger, adultery, divorce, truth-telling, revenge, and loving your enemies. Everyone excited about this morning now? Okay, so we're going to delve into these things, and I'm just going to unpack them, and I'm just going to, like, I've only got, like, you know, the next 25 minutes to really unpack these, but there will be things I'm about to say that are going to hit your heart, and I don't want you to be afraid of those, I just want you to open your heart and say, God, if this is something that you are just working in me right now, just allow the Holy Spirit to minister to you this morning, allow the Holy Spirit to bring some conviction and some challenge, because he wants us all to change, I'm going to pray right now that that's exactly what happens in this place. So God, right now, I just pray by your Holy Spirit that you would open our hearts. Lord, where you come and you just drop things in our hearts that you are touching on, I pray that we would open ourselves up to allow ourselves to be convicted, Lord, but to come to you with a repentant heart this morning. God, that you would just bring your Holy Spirit just to heal and to restore and to reconcile us this morning to you. 
Lord, I pray right now that by your Holy Spirit, we would just be open to your word, that we wouldn't be afraid of it, but that we would just accept it and receive it this morning so that we can go out changed and transformed in this place. Amen. Okay, so let's get our teeth stuck in. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 to 26 first. And Jesus is teaching about anger, and he says this. You have heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. So if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple, and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar... Go and be reconciled to that person, then come out and offer your sacrifice to God. When you say you are on the way to the court with your adversary, settle your differences quickly. Otherwise, your accuser may hand you over to the judge, who will hand you over to an officer, and you will be thrown into prison. And if that happens, you surely won't be free again until you have paid the last penny. So here we are, talking about anger. And up till now, in the Ten Commandments, the people have been familiar with like, the commandment, do not murder. And for most of the people at the time, like, well, I haven't done that, so I'm perfectly fine. I'm like in the, you know, I, I'm not even there, so I'm fine. I'm this perfect person. And Jesus comes along and he says, hang on a minute. Even if you're angry, it's like as if you've committed murder. And the people are like, what? And I mean, let's face it, in this room, who's ever got angry? Oh, I've got some really honest people. Okay, let's put your hands down. Who's never, ever been angry in their whole life? None of us. Because we all, we all experience anger, okay? And um, I don't know about you, but there's like degree, there are different ways we re- react to anger. And um, I have to tell you a really quick funny thing. When I was an intern about uh, quite a long time ago, I won't say how many years, but definitely over 10, can't quite remember the exact figure. But um, I had a certain youth pastor who, um, at the time, he used to say this phrase that was really annoying. Uh, there was nine of us on internship at the same time, so naturally there were arguments, there were things that may I have gone slightly wrong at times. And he used to say this phrase, when you stop reacting, you'll be free. Okay, now, when you hear that phrase, do you know what that does? When someone says to you, when you stop reacting, you'll be free, you just want to get even more angry because it's just one of those really irritating things. But it became a bit of a tagline between us as a nine of us. We'd be like, when you stop reacting, you'll be free. And, um, but the truth is, that's exactly what we should be doing. So some of us, when we get angry, who can, who can relate to the hedgehog? Like you get angry about something and you just kind of close yourself in. You kind of curl up into a ball. You go and hide somewhere. And no, you don't want anyone to talk to you. No, don't talk to me. Don't speak to me. I'm just going to be angry and quiet over here on my own. And if anyone just comes up and even just prods you a little bit, the spikes come out. And you are just like, no, I'm just really angry. Do not speak to me right now. But then there's others of us that... Um, that turn into a rhino when we're angry, and it's like, charge, you've done this, and I'm really cross and angry with you right now. Does anyone know what I'm saying, or is it just me? Yeah, okay. So, like, somewhere, we can, we can be somewhere on the scale. You might be a bit of hedgehog and a bit of rhino. Don't know what that would look like exactly, but that would be quite interesting. Um, you know, there's all sorts of ways that we show our anger. And whatever it is, whether it's you've left the toilet seat up again, right the way through to... Well, yeah, the toothpaste, yeah, the toothpaste is like just all mangled up and what have you done with that? Right the way through to wanting to kill someone. Jesus says it's all the same. 
anger towards someone else without a cause, an attitude that judges someone else's mind or their heart. And Jesus comes right to the heart of the issue because he knows in order for us to live our lives full of freedom, in order for us to live our lives full of life, anger has no place. And all of us, each and every one of us, experience anger. Who in this week, in this week has got angry about something? My hand is right up there. Okay, all of us. It's a day-to-day struggle that we face. But what does Jesus say? He says this. He's relating to the Jews at the time, and he says, when you're angry about something, then you're coming to me, to the altar with your sacrifice. And on the way there, God's knocking on the door of your heart. And he's saying, hang on a minute. Hang on a minute. Don't you remember when that happened this week? And you haven't dealt with it yet. Stop what you're doing. Put your gift down, your sacrifice down. Go and find that person and deal with it first. Then come back to me with your gift. Pick it up and present it to me. Why does he say that? Because he wants our gifts. So he wants our worship. He wants the gifts that he's given us, the things that he's called us to do. He wants us to bring those to him with clean hands and a pure heart. And in this passage, it's one thing to forgive somebody. That takes one person. It's another thing to be reconciled with somebody. You see, if we're going to function as a church in a place of worship, where we reach a new, fresh place, if we function in a place of our gift, where we're using it to the absolute max that God has given us, there are things in our lives that we have to change. And what God's saying this morning to us through this passage is, don't come and bring me your worship. Don't come and bring me your gift or the talent or the thing that you feel like, I can do this for you, God. If there's stuff going on in your heart you need to deal with first. And you know, Jesus came with a message of forgiveness. He came with a message of love. And he says in his word time and time again, He who the sun sets free is free indeed. And this morning, this is a message about freedom. This is a message about cultivating and practicing that forgiving heart, just as Jesus did to us. And he's saying in those times and in those moments, when we make that choice to go and reconcile ourselves, to show forgiveness, to not let anger become the first thing that happens, but actually stopping Stop reacting and start responding in the way that Jesus intended us to. Our lives can be transformed. Have we allowed anger to build up within us that has just brought complications and divisions in our relationships? Do we pursue peace or do we talk to people, talk about people instead of talking to them? Maybe God's bringing people to our minds right now. Maybe we've got a difference or something that's gone on. Um, And just take a moment to think about who those people are. And you can't exactly, like, get up and walk out right now. You could if you wanted to. But just make a conscious effort and decision this week. I'm going to go and reconcile myself with that person if that's possible. Maybe it's coming before God first and foremost. And and in everything that we do, firstly, coming to God and asking his forgiveness. Whether we're the offended person or the offender, that we make that effort just to go that extra mile and say, I'm going to step out and I'm not going to... Come any more with this gift for you, God, until I've dealt with that first. What's God challenging us about this morning? I'm going to move on to the next part. Are you still with me? 
you're happy for the next one. We've got to go through six of these. So we're on number two. Uh, going to verse 27. So Jesus goes on to teach about adultery. You have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. But I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. See, in this passage, Jesus, again, he's raising the standard of living. He's saying, all your lives you've thought that, you, you know, not committing adultery, great, you've ticked that one off, you're being good good man, a good woman. But then he comes beyond the act itself and he examines the heart again, comes back to the heart issue. And he's saying lust is a problem of the heart. It's an act and an attitude of the heart. Lust, looking at stuff that we shouldn't be looking at. Flirting with someone that you know you shouldn't be. Being obsessed over someone, a constant stare, an intentional look, a planned look. A feeling and an inner desire that should only be satisfied by your husband or your wife. And you might be sitting here and say, well, that's not my situation. I'm single. It's when we step out of God's perfect and pure will for our lives and we start going into impurity, sleeping around, going into relationships we shouldn't be in. And Jesus doesn't just say lust leads to adultery. He says lust is adultery. And when Jesus is talking about this, he's emphasizing this because he knows that lust doesn't foster love. Lust is self-centered. It's focused on yourself. It's a physical um, satisfaction and it traps you in something that is just so damaging for your life. It's a destruction not only of your body, but of your mind and of your spirit. And Jesus knows that, as, as he speaks this out, he knows he's addressing a massive crowd of people. He's addressing people that, that to this point, would have maybe even brought people before the court, brought people to um, the religious leaders and said, look, this person has committed adultery. And Jesus is saying, actually, all of us have this that we need to deal with in our lives. And when Jesus looks at this, he says, come on, we need to take responsibility for it. And he does it in quite a funny way, because when Jesus talks about this, he he starts saying things like gouge out your eye and cut off your arm. And if that causes you to sin, then sort it out. And what is Jesus actually saying in this moment? Is he saying we literally, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out? What he's saying is if your eye is causing you to sin, then connect your eye with your heart. If there's stuff that you're looking at and there's stuff that you know you shouldn't be doing, stop looking at it. He's saying, take responsibility. He's not saying literally cut those parts of your body off, but he's saying stop what you're doing. Stop it, break free from it, and go away from it right now. And he's saying you can be free from it. The problem is in our society, we've got so many things out there right now that can be um, picked up on, that are looked at, that are just so out there. You only have to turn on the TV 
And you can see there's program after program after program where it's like, yep, sleeping around is fine. Looking at stuff you want to look at, no problem. And it's become acceptable in society. But if we want to live lives of freedom, if we want relationships that are life-winning relationships, Jesus says lust has got no place. It's got no place in our lives. And I really, really felt this morning that those people, and I'm not going to look at anyone because I don't know who this is for, but there are people here today and lust has got hold of your life to the point where you've just decided I'm going to live with this. This is who I am. This is what I do. And you just cannot break free from it. And it's something in your life that has been going on for such a long time that you've just, it's become part of who you are. But this morning, Jesus said, says, it's time to break free. It's time to cut it off. It's time to stop what you're doing. And I really, really believe that this morning, and I particularly think this is for some guys in this room, that God is saying this morning, he is going to put someone in your path in the next few days or the next week, and he is intentionally going to put that person in your path to allow you an opportunity to share and to speak to that person about what's going on in your life. And it's a choice that you've got to make. It's a choice and a decision that you've got to make. And you've got to say, actually, I'm finding this really, really tough right now. It's just become who I am. I don't know how to get out of it. I'm in a trap. And I believe that as you do that, you'll begin to see freedom in the name of Jesus. It's not what God wants for your life. It's not who you were intended to be. God wants you to live a life of freedom and be in relationship with him to put that relationship right and to stop allowing lust to break the relationships in your own life. So I just encourage you, if that's you this morning, God wants to break that chain in your life. Let's go on to, uh, you ready for another one? I told you this is like quite stuff this morning. It's hot stuff. Who's feeling hot? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> just been talking about lust, and uh, Yeah. <laughs> Okay, you get what I mean. Uh, <laughs> number three. Let's go to verse 31. Um, you have heard that the law, law that says, a man can divorce his wife by merely giving her a written notice of divorce. But I say that a man who divorces his wife, unless she has been unfaithful because uh, causes her to commit adultery, and anyone who marries a divorced woman also commits adultery. Now, I want to share about this. I know this is a really sensitive issue and that I completely understand that in this room there are people that have been through all sorts of different things in their own relationships and that many who have been through the pain of divorce. And this is a challenging and weighty thing to talk about. And, you know, even in this passage, there are justifications and there are times when and exceptions to when divorce, you know, Jesus says divorce is okay. But divorce is never the preferred thing. It's never celebrated or spoken about in a, in a good way. It's broken and it's painful and it's not what God intended. It's scary to read, um, and there's lots of research that goes into this at the moment, that the divorce rate in the church is close to the divorce rate in the unchurched world. And Jesus is saying in this passage, not in my kingdom, you know, we're living in a culture where relationships and marriage are so easy to throw away, to get out of, to take the easier option. When Jesus comes and he talks about this, he's talking about marriage being a covenant and a commitment. 
And um, I've thrown these pictures up behind because so often we hear them in weddings, so often they're used as analogies, but how often do we actually come back to them um, in our marriages and, and, you know, and as, as those times and things happen? And I just want to like, talk about the triangle first because it's true that as a husband and wife, with God at the top of that triangle, the closer you get to God, the closer we get to each other. That phrase, a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. When you got you um, and your husband and God are together and entwined together, it's harder to break. And when I looked at the research around this whole, um, whole area, it is said that the people that um, were filling out these questionnaires, they often found that people that were actively in a relationship with Jesus, like were both people in the couple were actively involved in, uh, of, in, the, in the service of church and in a relationship with Jesus, that their relationships were thriving, but often where there was brokenness and breakdown, it was coming where Jesus just wasn't at the center. And today, as a church and as a community, we want to stand for marriage and uphold marriage. We want to be people who share our struggles, who actually, when things aren't going so well in our relationships, that we find people that we can um, just spend time with and be open with. I know, like, for Gareth and I, a few years ago, decided to do this course called Laugh Your Way to a Better Marriage. It was quite hilarious, and I do encourage you that if, um, if you want to, like, look into that, then go for it. But we made a choice, not because we were having any problems particularly, but we were like, we just want to invest in our marriage. And what we did was we just spent time with another couple in the church that we knew, and we just had some food, we watched this clip, and we laughed about stuff. We were really kind of just open and out there about things that were kind of, some of them were funny, some of them were not so funny. Um, <laughs> but, you know, like that whole thing of what we say in this room doesn't go out of this room. We found people in our life that we could do that with. And as a result of that, our relationship grew stronger. We, you know, why wait until you've got a problem before actually investing in your marriage? You know, why, why wait until it gets to that crisis point before saying, actually, can, can you just come and spend time with us? Can you just share a meal with us and let's just chat about some stuff? You know, I've got people that will speak into our lives and we've got people that we do that with intentionally because we know that we want our marriage to grow. We want our marriage to be strong. And I think it's sometimes it's such a subject that's not talked about in church life. But as a church, we want to be a church that upholds marriage, that supports you through your marriages, and that as together, as a family, we go, okay, come on, let's just get alongside each other. Let's uphold each other. Let's speak encouragement and life into the marriages of the church. You know, let's not just wait until the problems come. You know, Ephesians chapter 5 is, talks all about um, wives and husbands. And, you know, guys, this morning, are you loving your, life, uh, your wife as Christ loves the church? Women, are we submitting to our husbands as a church submits to Christ? Big questions, but it's right there in the Bible. And um, I just want to encourage you that whether your marriage is really healthy, whether you feel like you're going through a few problems, whether things in, uh, have happened in the past and you've come to that point where you have had to go through the pain of divorce and separation, God wants to bring wholeness. He wants to bring love and reconciliation to our relationships. He wants to bring you to a new place where you can experience the love of God and you can experience his restoration in your life. And whatever you've been through, God wants to just shower his love upon you. He wants to shower his love upon your marriage. He wants to shower his love upon you as a single person. He wants to shower his love upon you as someone that maybe has been through a broken relationship because God is a God of love. 
He's not a God of separation. He's not a God who looks upon what's happened in the past with condemnation. But his arms are open wide with forgiveness and love. And he wants to bring that to you this morning. Then we go on to vows. Um, So uh, in verse 33, you have also heard that our ancestors were told, you must not break your vows. You must carry out your vows that you make to the Lord. But I say, do not make any vows. Do not say by the heavens, because heaven is God's throne. And do not say by earth, because the earth is his footstool. And do not say by Jerusalem, for Jerusalem is a city of a great king. Do not even say by my head, because you can't turn one hair white or black. Praise the Lord. Um, Just say a simple yes, I will, or no, I won't. Anything beyond this is from the evil one. And in this passage, Jesus is talking about speaking the truth. Now, you're all looking at that picture thinking, that's a bit of a funny thing to put up there. But um, I've just got to tell you a funny story, because (laughs) two two weeks ago... um, I was at a training day in Bristol, um, just leading some training for children's workers across the southwest. And uh, a couple of my friends came from this church. Uh, so Rosie and Joe and, and Leslie came along. <laughs> and, uh, and we were sitting having lunch, right? And um, I hope Leslie doesn't mind me telling you the story. But uh, we were sitting having lunch. <laughs> and, um, and I'm eating my lunch and, like, you know, have a nice chat and stuff. And we get to the end of lunch and I was like, oh, I need to get up now and, you know, introduce the next session. Leslie says, Hannah, Hannah. And I was thinking, oh, what's she going to say? She's going to give me some really encouraging word right now. I was like, Hannah, Hannah, you've just got something between your teeth. <laughs> you've got something between your teeth. You might want to, like, just take that off before you get up to speak. And you know what? In that moment, I was like, thank you, Leslie, because you're speaking the truth to me. You're being honest with me. And you're not going to let me get up the front and start speaking with, like, lettuce sticking out of my mouth. And, uh... You know, I'm glad for friends like Leslie. Who's glad for friends that tell them the truth? They don't let you walk down the road with toilet paper, you know, coming out from your foot or like, you know, when you've got your skirt up your knickers or whatever it is. You know, friends that are going to be completely truthful and honest to you. And in this passage, that's what Jesus is talking about. I've talked about some trivial things there. But what was happening was people back then, they would... um, like, swear by things, make oaths by things, and it would get, like, bigger and bigger, like, even in this passage, like, you know, first of all, it was, like, by this tree, and then by this mountain, and then by Jerusalem, and actually, were they ever going to do what they said in the first place? Probably not, and so Jesus is saying, stop giving empty promises, stop saying, yes, I'm going to do this, when actually, really, no, you're not, let your yes be yes, and your no be no, stop saying, cross my heart, or You know when someone says, I really want to tell you the truth, and you're standing there thinking, I thought you were telling me the truth anyway. um, Like, let's not be people who want to qualify things, but actually just be honest and speak the truth in love. Everything that we're saying this morning comes back to love because God is a God of love, and God knows that the truth sets us And we want to be free this morning. And so he's just saying, my disciples are people of integrity. There's no maybe, or let's see how this rolls, or I'll try and do this. It's like, yes or no. Be truthful, be honest. And as Christians and as a church, we want to be people of integrity. We want to be authentic and transparent. Um, And just to be people that are honest with each other. Our word is an expression of our character. So what are your words saying this morning? 
And then we get on to number five. We're getting there. There's six. We're nearly on the home straight. We're doing all right. Everyone's still with me? Anyone got, like, really hot now? Um, so, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Let's go for it. You have heard the law say that, um, that says, the punishment must much must match your injury. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. If you are sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. Give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. Who is going to be willing to turn the other cheek? I mean, you look at that picture and you're like, you know, do you want to hit me here and hit me here? Um, who, who's feeling that this morning? <laughs> Not me. Um, you know what that really means? It's like when someone throws their best insult at you and it's just like completely digging into you or they do something that is just like, you just really want to retaliate. Jesus is saying, no, stop there. Look at the situation. Respond, not react. He's saying, don't respond by doing to others what they've done to you. Respond by giving. Respond by showing love. Respond by showing them the love of God. You know, wouldn't it be amazing if every time we find ourselves in those situations, that we respond in that way, and because of the way that we respond, someone notices Jesus in you. I really believe this is a powerful, powerful thing that we can be doing. What someone wants to take from you, give to them. And why should we do that? Because it's exactly what Jesus did on the cross. People mocked him, they spat at him, they you know, pretty much tortured him, they beat him, they hurt him, but did Jesus even speak a word? No, he took it. He took the punishment, but in return, he gives us forgiveness and life and freedom. When you look at the Roman centurion that was watching on as Jesus was beaten, as Jesus was mocked, as Jesus was hung on that cross, the thing that stood out to him was truly, is this the son of God? Why? Because he didn't retaliate. He didn't choose to respond or react in a way that was going to be damaging. He knew that he was there because he was there for the sins of people. He knew that Jesus, he could see by what Jesus was doing that if this is the person that's been spoken about, if this is, a, if this is true everything that he says, and he would do this for me, then surely he is the Son of God. And this morning... That is for each and every one of us. Jesus, just as Jesus forgave, just as Jesus took on the sin and the shame for us, he speaks those words, forgive them, for they know, no, they know not what they do. Jesus is our greatest example in this. To step out in love, to step out in forgiveness. Matthew 5, verse 43 to 48 um, goes on to say, you have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors, tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, 
How are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. All kind of links together. Jesus is saying there's a common grace for everyone. You know, Aaron talked about it this morning, like the waves, like wave after wave after wave of God's grace, that no matter who we are, no matter what we do, God's love and his grace just wants to shower upon you. And right now, you might be in a situation where you have got an enemy. It's a strong word, but, you know, that person that constantly winds you up, that member of your family you're just really just not getting on with right now, those people in your life where you're like, I just really struggling with this right now. God has got enough love for them. And he's got, he's got enough love to place you in their lives. God's loved you enough to put them there. Why? Because he wants to teach you and he wants to teach us how to love those people in the way that God loves. If all he did all the time was put around people that really like us and people that we get on with and people that just say lovely things to you and build you up all the time... We'd never have an opportunity to demonstrate God's love in the fullness and the way that he intended us to. And we're going to get points when we come to the end of ourselves, when we get pretty desperate in these relationships. We're just like, I really can't carry on doing this. Those points when we come to the end of ourselves and the end of our own strength and the end of our own desperation. And the only thing we can do in those moments is turn to God. And Jesus is there saying, my love is enough. And we've got to totally depend on that love. And not do it in a half-hearted way, but say, God, you know, I'm really struggling in this situation. So when I go into that um, workplace and I've got to sit next to that person or I'm going to visit that family member, God, would you show me right now your love? Would you fill me with your love so that as I walk into that place, I can demonstrate your love? Whether that's through a practical way or a word or just something that you'd be able to demonstrate God's stuff. Why? Because you are full of the love of God as you're walking into that place. How do we do that? How do we go from, God, I know what you're doing in my heart. How do I outwardly show that? It says it there. Do, to, um, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. And we need to take this really seriously, that God is saying... Pray for those who persecute you. Pray for those people in your life that you are just finding it really hard right now to deal with. When we go into situations and circumstances and we have prayed and sought God and we've asked for him to fill us with his Holy Spirit, we can walk into those situations and those places with a new authority. We can go into those situations and places with words that don't even come out of our mouths but come straight from the heart of God. But we have to take the time and say, God, I know I'm finding this hard, so I'm going to purposely make time and set time aside with you, God, so that you can deal with my heart on this issue and so that I can be full of your presence as I go in to that situation and circumstance. It's a choice that we have to make. Matthew 7 verse 12 says this. It's the golden rule. Do to others what you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the, pro- and the prophets. For true transformation in our relationships, for us to really know God's heart, it all comes back to us making that choice to change our heart, to bring those things before God and ask him by his spirit 
to work within us. The change begins inwardly, but does it stop there? It's an outwardly expressed, it's outwardly expressed through forgiveness and reconciliation, through love and commitment in our relationships, and through truth and integrity. Jeremiah 31 verse 33 says, But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. You know, what, what's God writing on your heart this morning? Maybe there have been issues or things that I've brought up that you're just like, yeah, that's just doing something right now. Maybe it's just exposing an area of life that you know you need to deal with. I know that I've, as I've unpacked this myself through the week, I know I've just been like, God, I've just got to deal with this before I can speak, speak about it. Some stuff that we know we're on a journey to dealing with, maybe there's people we need to reconcile with. Maybe there are situations where we know that we've allowed anger to just fester and not do anything about it. I spoke earlier about how lust can just take control of our lives and our relationships. Maybe for some of us, we just need to look at how we're investing into our marriages. Are we speaking the truth? Are we people who want to take revenge or are we choosing to show love instead of hate. There's a story in the Bible, and uh, we're going to come up to respond now, so I'm just going to get the band to come up. And um, right at the beginning of preparing this message, I just knew that God was putting this story on my heart. And, and I'm just going to read part of it to you, and then we're going to go into a time of response. But in John 8, chapters 1 to 11, it, all, it talks about the woman that was caught in adultery. And what happens is um, the people, they're trying to catch Jesus out all the time because Jesus is saying these things and he's speaking these things out, but they go completely against the law and what the people have been kind of brought up with and have been taught. And so there's this woman that's been caught in adultery and they bring her into the temple. And at this time, there would have been loads of people around because it was a time of festival. And they bring her in and um, they say this, they say, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery, and the law of Moses says to stone her. But what do you say? They're trying to trap him into saying something that they could use against him. But Jesus stopped down and wrote in the dust with his finger, and they kept on demanding an answer. So he stood up again and he said, All right, but let the one that has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and he said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I go and sin no more. And I believe today that just like in this story, maybe there are people here and you can identify with a woman. This woman would have been stood there. She would have felt guilt. She would have felt shame. She would have been fearful. She would have felt so intimidated by that, that situation and thinking, what's going to happen to my life? She knows what she's done, but she's there and she's guilty. What's going to happen next? 
all she feels is a condemnation. But then Jesus comes and he says, I don't condemn you. I see your sin and I see your shame, but I don't condemn you. I forgive you. Go and sin no more. You see, this woman had recognized that he was the Messiah. She says, no, Lord, or no Messiah in some translations. She'd already recognized and was convicted herself of her sin. But then you've got the crowd of people, a crowd of people who on the outside probably felt like, well, they're quite justified in doing this. You know, they've got, they, they've got it all together. And Jesus looks out at them and he says, it's easy to throw a stone at her. You can see what she's been doing. What's going on with your lives? What's going on in the heart right now? And Jesus is saying, go on then. Who's going to cast a stone? One by one, they start to slip away. Because each and every person has got stuff in their lives that is heavy and weighty. Each and every person has got stuff in their lives that Jesus is just pointing at and saying, come on, deal with your sin first. And just as he says to the woman, go and sin no more, he says to each and every person this morning, whatever it is that you're carrying, whether you're a person in the crowd and actually on the outside, everything looks good and everything looks together, but you know that there's stuff going on. Each of us has sin in our lives that we need to deal with. Jesus is saying this morning, come on, come, come and bring it to me. And as you bring it to him and you let it go, he's saying, now go and walk in freedom. Go and walk in the life-winning relationships I intended for you. Go and sin no more. And as you do that, and as you lay that down at the foot of the cross, he just offers you his forgiveness. He offers you his love. He offers you everything there is to have a life that is full and abundant through him. I just want to encourage us all this morning just to take a few moments and to examine ourselves. Are you hurting and broken within? Overwhelmed by the weight of your sin, it's Jesus' calling. This morning I've talked about many different areas of our lives and I don't think there's probably anyone including myself in this room who could say that they've got everything perfectly right but this morning Jesus wants us to come and to bring our sin and to bring the things in our lives that we know that we've got going on and just to lay them down what I want us to do this morning is we're going to sing a song um, come to the altar and the words of this song are exactly what Jesus is calling us to do this morning. We're going to stand together and sing it, but I just want to encourage you that if you feel challenged by something that's been said this morning, like, there's really nothing special about being here. It's just a bit of carpet. But what it represents is Jesus. When we talk about the altar, it just represents Jesus. And we don't even have an altar in this church. We have like a bit of stage. But I just want to encourage you that if you just want to come and to kneel, you don't have to talk to anyone or share what it is, but just as an act this morning to saying, God, I just want to deal with, lay this down in my life. Jesus' arms are open wide this morning and he offers forgiveness and freedom to you today. So we're going to sing through this song and then we're just going to go into a time of response and 
We want you to be able to respond in a way that you feel led. Um.